morning, good morning. Hello, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Well, it is good to see you, and whether you join us in person or online, I want to welcome you to City First Church. And it is June, ladies and gentlemen, which means that summer is officially here. How many of you are excited about summer? Come on. I love summertime. Love it, love it, love it. You know, um, back in elementary school, I used to think that summer break was like six months long, you know? You remember that? Like when you were really little and you were on summer break and you're like, it's like six months long. This is like forever. It's awesome. Well, then um, you get in high school and it seemed like summer break shortened somehow, like psychologically. I don't know what happened. If all of a sudden it went from like six months long to like only being three months long or something like that. There were like sports camps and things like that made it go by real quick. Get into college and all of a sudden it's like you sneeze and summer break is over and you're back at in school again. And then you become an adult. And when you become an adult and you get a job, there is no more summer break, right? But then you have kids. And when the kids go to school, they have summer break. And all of a sudden summer break feels like it's six months long again, right? It's like forever. In fact, this week, uh, I asked Jen, I'm like, you know what? Pax just got out of school. When does he go back again? Like, is there, is there summer school? I don't know. And every parent said amen, right? Amen. Well, I do hope that this summer, though, you do get a little bit of a break, whether it be a long weekend or maybe you and friends or family go on a vacation, an extended vacation. I hope you do get some R&R. It is very important that we do that, and summer tends to be the time that most people do that. I would say this, though, and I'm going to sound like a pastor for a moment because I am one. Don't take a vacation from church or God this summer, though, all right? And, and you can put your hands together for that. And here's why. It is so important that through summer, even as you are seeking maybe a season of rest, rest comes from Jesus. In fact, Jesus said this in the book of Matthew, it's recorded. Jesus said, come unto me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And what does he say? I'll give you rest. But here's the key. You have to come to him, all right? Which means you got to go to church. You got to keep on praying and having your personal devotional times, all right? Don't take a vacation from God this summer or from gathering because I want you to be refreshed after this summer. And part of that refreshment is that you come to Jesus and he promises that if you come to him and you're carrying heavy things, that he will give you rest, all right? So, we're going to start a brand new series today, and for the month of June, we are talking about the book of Nehemiah, and I'm entitling this series, From Here to There, How to Grow the Leader in You for the World Around You. We're going to talk a lot about influence this, uh, this month, and, and, and the function of leadership. In fact, in America, many times we, uh, we make leadership a title, like, oh, that's the leader. We make it a title. It's not a title. Uh, being, being a leader is not a title. It's actually a function. It's something you do, all right, which means that all of us can be leaders, and another way of saying that is all of us can be influencers. If we're an influencer, we're a leader. Does that make sense? And so I love the book of Nehemiah. 
It's one of my favorite books. Back when I first found Jesus over 30 years ago, it's one of the first books that I read, and it is full of all kinds of leadership or influence lessons from one of the best leaders literally in the Bible. And, and many people have maybe never even heard of him, but I feel like the Lord wanted us to, to focus on this idea of leadership this month and how to lead ourselves how to lead our families, how to lead our friendships, how to lead our careers, okay, and to be able to find uh, kind of, in a sense, a summer of purpose, you could say. Uh, Nehemiah is an incredible leader, true story, took place thousands of years ago, um, and, and you know, we can all learn from him, and this series is for everyone, all right? I realize some of you right now, the minute I talked about leadership, you're like, well, this isn't for me. I'm not a leader. No, no, no. Whether you are a student, or you are a business leader, whether you're a retiree or you're a tradesman, whether you're a barista or a stay-at-home parent, all right, this series is for you. And I want to encourage you to bring people in the next few weeks or encourage them to watch, um, you know, the sermon or the message online because I think it's going to be very helpful. And uh, let me give you a little bit of background on the story of this book of Nehemiah, all right? Nehemiah uh, was a real person, lived thousands of years ago. He was a cupbearer a cupbearer for a king by the name of Artaxerxes, all right? Now, a cupbearer is a position of great trust. It's also a position of great risk. And here's the reason why. A cupbearer tastes all the food and drink before the king would eat it to make sure that no one was trying to poison the king, all right? You were kind of the guinea pig, you could say. It's like, here, try this food, and if you don't keel over and die, then the king is going to go ahead and eat it. And some of you go, well, that's kind of crazy, but you know what? A few weeks ago, I was reading in the news that Putin actually has a cupbearer. I don't know if you read that or not, but somebody is actually testing his food, eating it, because he's afraid that he's going to get poisoned. So, so this is kind of the scenario thousands of years ago. Well, even before Nehemiah in 722 B.C., a little history lesson here, in 722 B.C., the kingdom of Israel is conquered by an Assyrian army. And so literally, the Assyrians come in, conquer the, the kingdom of Israel. They take the Jewish people, or at least many of them, and they relocate them, exile them, and bring them back to a foreign country. So they literally in a sense, kidnap the Jewish people and bring them to a foreign country. And for generations, these Jewish people are growing up in a foreign country. And so Nehemiah is one of the descendants of the exiles. He is literally living in a foreign country. He's never seen his homeland, never seen Israel, never seen Jerusalem. But he hears because 90 years before Nehemiah was born, exile started to go back to the homeland. He hears what's happening back in his native land, you could say, back in his original land that he's never visited before. He hears these stories about the city of Jerusalem, this once mighty fortress of a city that is now broken down and the walls are nothing but rubble. He hears about this. And this is his response. I think this is very interesting. It says in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 4, when I heard this, Nehemiah says, I sat down and wept. In fact, I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. For days he mourned, he fasted, he prayed. He got this report 
that, that the city's walls had been broken down and it moved him so much that he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. I think this is really interesting. Why? Why would Nehemiah respond in such a way about a city he's never seen before? This is, I mean, come on, before social media, before the news. I mean, he has physically never seen anything except where he grew up. He's never seen his homeland. And yet he is devastated, devastated. In fact, people typically do not become motivated to do something or motivated to emotion about something that doesn't personally affect them. And, and Nehemiah is not personally affected by the walls of Jerusalem being, being diminished to rubble. I mean, he, he's not affected by this at all. He has a great job. He, he lives in the palace. He's eating good food. Life is good. He, he has a secure job, all right? But yet he's moved. Why does this move him? Well, back in this era, the reason why he's so moved is because walls represented three things. Walls represented power and strength. Walls represented, obviously, protection from the enemy. And walls also around a city meant that that city was successful and prosperous. And so for the walls to be burned and broken down means that the people didn't have any power or strength, the people were vulnerable to the enemy, and also they were not successful. And this so bothered him that he literally physically became bothered by it. In fact, I would just say this for a moment, for all of us, being deeply bothered can equate or at least point to having a burden. Okay? When you're bothered by something, notice that. Maybe that's a God nudge that it points towards having a burden. What's a burden? A burden is when you see something and it ignites a passion inside of you that you want to see change, you want to do something, all right? It's kind of, in a sense, a little bit like maybe this... Uh, this flashlight here, all right? You know, I have a flashlight, it has no batteries in it, and so obviously I try to turn it on and nothing happens, right? But if I take some batteries and I put it inside, in other words, when there's a need and I connect it with my passion, then all of a sudden, when these two things come together, there is light, that there's a need that meets my burden. When there's a need and a burden that comes together, there is light. It kind of reminds me a little bit of what the Bible says here. It says, Jesus talking in Matthew chapter 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others. What's your light? It's when it's your testimony, your relationship with Jesus. Sometimes it's when there is a need and you have a burden, all of a sudden let your light shine before others, and guess what? That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. In other words, guess what? When there's a need, and all of a sudden you have a burden, there's a light that shines, and God gets all the glory. Passion and mission are meant to walk hand in hand. Passion and mission. And this is what we're seeing with Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he's just an everyday guy, 
Okay, I want this to be very clear. He's not a superhero. He doesn't have supernatural powers. There's nothing special about him. He was not born into royalty. Nothing like that. He is in exile in a foreign land, a normal guy just working a job. All right? And all of a sudden, he became curious, listen, about what was going on outside of his own world, and that curiosity turned into a burden and passion, which eventually became leadership and a mission. You see, uh, after Nehemiah got this burden for the people, he became physically, physically burdened. So much so that the king, Artaxerxes, was like, Nehemiah, are you okay? Because you're acting different. You seem like you're carrying a heavy burden. So here's my question for those of us today. What is happening in your world that really bothers you? What's happening in your world? Like wherever you live, the neighborhood that you are in, the place where you work, I realize right now you're not going to school for those of you that are in school unless you're in summer school, but think about your school for a minute. What bothers you about your school? What bothers you about the city in which you live? Like here in the State Line area, down in Cape Coral, Fort Myers area, or wherever you're at, even at God Behind Bars, what bothers you about Dixon and Hardy Correctional Centers? What bothers you? That could be your burden, all right, that points to God's mission for your life. You're an accountant, and you're bothered about how many people are living in credit card debt, and you're like, I wish I could help them figure out how to financially manage their life because they're bound to creditors, and that burdens you. Maybe you're a teacher, and you're burdened by the fact that COVID has set some of the students in your classroom behind. That you know what? Because of the learning that took place during the two years of COVID and that methodology, you are seeing now a gap and it burdens you. And you're like, I feel like I got to do something about it. Maybe you're a business leader and you're burdened about the fact that the community seems to be deteriorating in certain areas and you're wondering, how can I rejuvenate? How can I renovate certain areas of this community? Maybe you're just, you know, you're a tradesman and you're like, you know, I'm working with so many people right now that their marriages are on the rocks. They're going through divorce. I have a burden to see stronger marriages. What bothers you in your world? What bothers you? Listen, what bothers you could be a burden. It could be a burden. I love what Nehemiah did here because you study uh, about him and, and he becomes so burdened that literally physically, emotionally, and spiritually it weighs on him. And so he goes to the king and he says, King, uh, I'm going to ask a favor. I'm going to ask that you would give me permission to quit my job and for me to relocate to Jerusalem, to the city of my people, and to help rebuild the wall. Now, now we look at that and go, oh, that's nice, that's cute. No, no, no. Listen, you got to understand something. We live in a pretty safe era. And what I mean by that is this, is back in the day, kings many times were so ruthless, if you looked at them wrong, they could have you executed. If you went to them and you bothered them, if you came in with a bad attitude, they'd be like, I don't need negativity in my space. I'm going to send you to the gallows. You see, this was a huge risk. Nehemiah was like, I'm going to ask the king, but I built a trust with him. And I'm going to ask the king 
if he would give me permission to quit my job and to go to a city in a foreign land and strengthen that city, what would motivate the king to say yes? You know, this is the thing though. Nehemiah had found favor with the king. And thankfully, we serve a good king. We serve a king that is a good king. And I would say this, when your burden lines up with the good king's mission, God's mission, the king will give you favor and resource to help meet the need. I believe that with all my heart. You know what Artaxerxes did, a human king? Artaxerxes goes, you know what, Nehemiah, I'm going to give you permission to do this. And by the way, I'm going to give you an infantry, and they're going to escort you to Jerusalem so there's safety. I'm going to give you resource. I'm going to give you money. Like, I mean, literally, all of a sudden, Nehemiah is given all this stuff to go and rebuild the city's walls. You see, um, I know what some of you are thinking. You're going, well, I have this burden, but... I don't have any resource. <laughs> I don't have any money. I don't know what to do. I just have a bothering, I'm bothered by it. I'm, I have a bothered spirit about what's going on, something in my world. Well, I would say this, from doing this for 30 years of, of trying to create vision and, and trying to create movements and trying to help needs in a community and multiple communities, I will tell you personally that the burden and the passion come first well before the resource does. You always get a vision before you get the provision. You always get, you always see the need, you're bothered by the problem well before the money, the resource, the people, or anybody comes along. And that's exactly what it is with Nehemiah. Nehemiah had the burden, then he goes and he finally sees the resource and he gets to Jerusalem and he finds it in ruin. The Bible says in chapter 2 that, uh, that Nehemiah is on his horse or his donkey, we don't know, but he is riding um, through the rubble, and the rubble is so bad. The rubble is so bad that literally he has to dismount and he has to inspect it by foot. And I thought, you know what? Sometimes we need to get off of our high horse to see the brokenness around us. And I would say this, if he was riding on a donkey, sometimes we need to get off of our donkey to see the brokenness around us. <laughs> really, that's true. What did, a, what did a horse represent back in that day? Strength. If you're on a horse, it represents strength. You went into battle on a horse. You had an advantage over the infantry, those who were foot soldiers. You had an advantage. Sometimes we need to put down our advantage to see the brokenness around us. Sometimes we need to be inconvenienced a little bit. Sometimes we're not bothered enough because we have too much, too much strength, too much resource. We have too much going on in our own life. It, it is not easy, ladies and gentlemen, it is not easy to walk amongst the rubble and the brokenness around us. It is inconvenient. It is messy. I would even say this, the more messy it is, that speaks to more the brokenness that's going on. And, and so a lot of times we don't even know where to begin, right? We're like, there's, there's so much brokenness. There's so much messiness. I don't even know what to do. I don't want to dismount and get down into the mess. I, I'm just, I'm scared. I'm scared. See, most people are to consume with their own needs, and they don't see the needs of those around them. And, and, and I would just say this. If the mission of your life is only about you, you're going to find yourself limited and frustrated. 
You're going to feel yourself living a shallow life. Albert Einstein, kind of a smart guy, right? Albert Einstein, he said this. He goes, only a life lived for others is a life worthwhile. I mean, that's really wise. Coming from one of the smartest people probably to live in the last couple hundred years, right? God's burden, God's bothering you, will always involve the betterment of others. Do you understand that? It's not just about you. It's about the betterment of others. And I love this because Nehemiah has this burden. And he's like, he's literally, he's like, He's like, God, I'm so bothered. And he asks the king and he risks everything. And, and then he gets to Jerusalem and he finds all of the, the, the walls in rubble and in shambles. And then what does he do? He mobilizes the people who live there. And he's like, hey, listen, guys, we're going to rebuild these walls. This was no easy task. Because a lot of times when you try to give vision to the people that are living in brokenness, they don't see hope. They only see the brokenness. So here's, here's Nehemiah. He's like trying to motivate people. He's like, listen, guys, we can do this. We can do this. This is no small task. Historians believe that the wall around Jerusalem at that time was two and a half miles long. And the average height of the wall was four stories or 40 feet tall. Okay, this is a huge wall that had been broken down. And on top of that, it was over eight and a half feet wide. And so he's trying to motivate the people, and the people are like, I don't know. I don't know if we can rebuild the walls. He's like, come on, we can do this. Literally, I'm going to give you the end of the story, and then for the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about the how. But the end of the story is he completed the wall with the people's help in 52 days. 52 days. All right? Now, this is, this is a huge accomplishment, especially when you don't have, like, you know, all of the equipment that we have today. This is, like, literally, like, sweat equity that goes into this. What a passion that Nehemiah had. Now, I know the minute I say that, some of you are like going, yeah, that's why I'm not a Nehemiah. <laughs> I don't think I could be that passionate. I don't think I could do it. Hey, listen, can I tell you something? A burden gives you passion, which in turn gives you energy. Burden gives you passion, and the passion gives you energy energy. And some of you are like going, oh, I'm not that passionate person. Oh, I, I disagree. Because everyone is passionate about something. I mean, go online right now. You will find people passionate about everything. Passionate about cars, about politics, about motorcycles, about gaming, about boats, about fishing, about football, about basketball, baseball, cigars, fashion, music, furniture, photography, vinyl records, you name it, you will find people that are passionate about it. And I guarantee you that if I were to walk with you for one week, I would immediately know what you're passionate about. Because something is going to bubble up in your soul, in the conversation, in your calendar, in your daytimer. You're passionate about something, all right? I guarantee you might be passionate about Netflix, but you're passionate about something, all right? All of us have a passion. And you know what it does? It gives you focus and energy on that thing or that activity. In fact, you even probably put your money towards it. So it's not that people don't have passion. It's whether or not they are passionate about the right things. In fact, you know what? I will tell you that passion does something. You know what passion does? It makes you imbalanced. It makes you imbalanced. And some of you are like, really? Yeah, yeah. Because let's say you're passionate about Ford Mustangs. 
you could care less about Toyota Corollas. Right? Because you are hyper-focused on one thing. It makes you imbalanced. In recent years, I, I, I watch this a lot on social media. That, that people are like doing these like Instagram stories or sometimes like people will blog about it and it's all about finding balance in life. It's like I need to find balance between work and family and hobbies and balance, 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 balance. I believe that trying to find balance is a lie. Now some of you are like, you just bursted my bubble. I mean, What? What, some of you are highly offended because you have been the people on Instagram that have been like talking about balance. I think it's a complete lie. I think if you try to find balance, you are gonna chase unicorns the rest of your life. You're never gonna find it. And here's the reason why. Because passion makes you imbalanced. I love what a friend of mine, he wrote a whole blog on this, by the way, a friend of mine by the name of Kerry Newhoff said, he said this, in society, he asked, in society, has our pursuit of balance become an excuse to be mediocre? Because imbalanced people don't live memorable lives. In fact, great people who have a great impact, those people who make a significant difference in this world, those people who accomplish great things are not balanced people. They're passionate people. Let me give you an example. Was Martin Luther King Jr. balanced? No. Was Mother Teresa balanced? No. Was Jesus balanced? No, I'm not advocating being a workaholic. I'm not advocating, you know, like working so much that you negate your family. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being passionate. In fact, you can be passionate about work. You can be passionate about your family. You can be passionate about rest. You can be passionate about all kinds of things. You should be passionate, which makes you imbalanced. And actually, the people that are imbalanced are the ones that you admire. It's really true. Because they're imbalanced in their love, they're imbalanced in their commitment, they're imbalanced in their work ethic, their drive, their innovation, and their worldview. They are not status quo. They are not even in all areas. They are imbalanced in certain areas. It's a whole new way of thinking. It really is. In fact, you know what, um, revivalist John Wesley, he was one of the people that started the Methodist denomination. He said this, he goes, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come for miles to watch you burn. Some of us, we need to just get a fire. We really do. We need to get a fire. Because when it comes to passion, we're all going to be passionate about something. The question is, are we passionate about the things that really matter? Matter to God. You know, sometimes people will say, yeah, they're a high-energy person or a low-energy person. I would say it has little to do with personality. I think it's more, are they passionate or not passionate? Because here's the reason why. Passion gives you energy. You're passionate about something, and it actually gives you energy, right? Energy for Whatever it is that you're passionate about, hopefully this summer that you have some passion about your relationship with God, and it'll give you energy. It'll give you energy, like I talked about, to come to church, energy to go to life group, energy to be in a place of faith, and energy to have prayer times and such like that. But energy for life, passion gives you energy for work, it gives you energy for family. Like, I'm passionate about family. 
That's why I create an imbalanced life. I don't say yes to everything that people ask me to do. See, I'm, I'm passionate about my family because I want to have family time. I'm passionate about work. That's why I don't look at work as I don't say, well, how many hours am I clocking in? Instead, I'm like, I have a passion. I have a mission. I, I, have, I have a passion for life. I have a passion for hobbies. I have certain hobbies that I really enjoy. And guess what? I don't do other things so I can do those hobbies. Again, whatever it is, throw yourself into it with passion. At work, at home, for fun. You can be passionate about fun. As long as it stays, you know, in a sense within certain probably boundaries, right? In fact, God even says that he's created certain things in this life for our enjoyment. He does want you to have fun. So be passionate about that. Be passionate about rest. That's why God said that you should have a Sabbath. He's actually passionate about rest. You see, passion also develops confidence. Some of you like go, well, I can't be a Nehemiah because I'm not, I'm not like a public speaker. I can't rally people. I mean, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. <laughs> he, 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 was, he was like in the background. He was not in the, in the foreground of, of the palace, all right? And, and so here's the thing. All of a sudden, passion gave him, a, in a sense, a confidence to do something. He had a confidence that came from his passion. I would say that Nehemiah was a can-do person. Of course, he said, we can rebuild this wall in 52 days. What did that come from? Did it come from education? Did it come from experience? No, it came from passion. Passion is also a choice. You choose whether you have passion. Passion is not a personality. In fact, I will tell you, some of the most passionate people I know are really quiet. Sometimes they scare me, <laughs> right? No, I mean, seriously, think about it. It's like some of the most passionate people I know are not people that get up on a stage. They never hold a mic. They don't give speeches. Instead, they're passionate. They are deep wells, in a sense. You see, it doesn't have to do with personality. Some might go, well, I'm not, I'm not you know, an, an extrovert. No, it's not about extrovert or introvert. It's about saying I choose to be passionate. It says in Romans, it says, to never be lazy, but to work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Serve the Lord with your life enthusiastically. It's a choice. It is not something that you're like, yes. I mean, I'll be honest with you. You know, some of you, some of you today probably did not feel very enthusiastic about coming to church. Right? I mean, I, and I just want to say this, that Jen and I are just like you. There are some Sundays I'm like, alarm goes off. And I'm like, oh gosh, okay, here we go. We're going to go to church. i got to talk today. I mean, it's not like I just get up out of bed all the time, ready to do this. And you don't either. What do you do? You choose it. You choose it. You say, you know what? I'm going to choose to be enthusiastic today about whatever I'm doing for God. This summer, let Nehemiah's life be our guide. Allow the burdens. What's bothering you? Don't ignore that. Go to God and say, God, is this bother a burden? Is this something I'm supposed to pay attention to? Let God's burden become passion. And let that passion that you choose to be passionate turn into energy 
energy for life, to make a difference in the areas that God wants you to make a difference. That may be something that's a part of your career, or it may be something outside of your career. I don't know. But all I know is this, is that God wants to transfer his burden to our hearts. And he wants us to choose passion so that we have energy to make a difference for him. You know, that may be helping in your neighborhood. It may be helping in your friendship group. I was thinking this, you know, some of you right now, I remember Jen going through this stage when our kids were younger. And it's like before they went to school and it was like a full-time job to be a mom. And she had to step back from ministry for, you know, vocational ministry, I should say, for a little bit. And had to go kind of like, you know, into mom mode, right? And, and every day she was tired. And some of you are there. You're like going, well, what kind of a, what kind of a mission does God have for me? I'm taking care of the littles 24-7, you know? Well, you know what? Some of you are, are feeling that right now. And you know what the burden may be? Is that you see other young moms in that same stage of life and they're tired. And they feel like there's no end to the day, right? Early in the morning, late at night, little sleep. And you're listening to the young adults talk about how tired they are. And you're like, oh, wait until you have a kid. You know, maybe the burden is this. Maybe you are to be a support to other young moms. You're like, well, I have no time. Well, there's this cool thing called Zoom now. Maybe you take a moment and everybody like, put the kids down for a nap at the same time and let's get 15 minutes on Zoom. See, maybe you can breathe life into others by helping them understand that guess what? They're actually winning even though the days are long but the years will be short. I don't know. That's just an anecdote. You see, get creative. What is the burden? What is the need that you see in your world? And say, God, help me to be passionate about that. And it'll create an energy. And guess what? Over time, you're going to see that God's going to use you to make a difference. I don't know what it is, but all I know is this, that in our culture, there are many walls that are broken down right now that need rebuilding. And you, Nehemiah, may be the one to help do it. You understand that? You, Nehemiah, might be the one to help do it. Before we close, every week, there's always new people that come to City First, our guests that are with us. And, and again, like we talked about earlier, we're just so happy that you're here. Maybe you might be here for the fifth time or the 50th time, but whether you're a first-time person or whether you've been coming here for some time, you say, I have a burden, but I really don't have a relationship with God. And I don't know if this burden is from God because I really don't have a relationship with Him. And maybe today you're like, I need to have a relationship with God. You know, really at the end of the day, Nehemiah was able to do what he was able to do because he was connected to the God of the universe, the God that created him and loves him. And that God gave him a burden and gave him energy to be able to accomplish a great task. And if today you say, I need to have a relationship with Jesus, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that before we dismiss, all right? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's just go ahead and if you say, I need a relationship with Jesus. Maybe today you came here searching. Maybe today you came here asking a lot of questions. Is there a God? Does he love me? The answer is yes to both of those. 
And I will say this, that he wants to forgive you for everything you've done wrong. And he wants to have a relationship with you on this earth that will go into all eternity in heaven. Maybe you came here today and you one time had a relationship with God, but you fell away. Either way, if today you say, I need a relationship with Jesus, if that's you, just go ahead and raise your hand and put it right back down. Yep, there are hands up. I guarantee you probably at every location. Let's all say this prayer together. Jesus, I come to you today and I need you. Forgive me for all my sin. Come into my heart. Lead me. Guide me. Be my best friend. Thank you for loving me with an unconditional love. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.